If you have a Bible, or you can grab one from the pew rack, open up to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. And as you do, brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but I am weary. I'm weary of hearing about yet more sickness. Is it just me, or does it seem like everyone we know is getting cancer? Not long after my wife and I were married, she was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer of the eye called ocular melanoma, and it turned our life upside down. But thankfully, uh, now many years later, she's cancer-free, but for us, our scars remain. And then, like some nightmarish bookends to my short life as a young adult, Several months ago, my dad tells me that he has throat cancer, and so he goes through his wilderness, and we go through it with him. What sickens me about all of this is that I know these kinds of stories are actually your stories, too. Perhaps it's not cancer, but it's some other disorder or disease that bears down on you and hangs like a curse over you and your friends and your family. Outside of the home, my wife Abby regularly does early intervention behavioral therapy for kids with autism and Asperger's and other developmental disorders. And just the stories that come out of these homes grieve us about the brokenness and sickness and dysfunction of our world. And we're all weary. We're weary from watching death rear his ugly head and ravish us and the people that we love. Perhaps some of you are here today, and for you this is very real and very present. You've heard news about yourself or about someone that you love. Or perhaps for others of you, this is more distant, but you know your day is coming. Listen to this text, a classic Good Friday text, which, as we'll see, will have some very powerful implications for our Lenten season. Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 6. This is the word of the Lord. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There's something in this passage that I've often overlooked, but in my own times of sickness and sorrow, and in sharing that much too heavy burden with others, it's given me comfort, and I pray that God the Spirit will comfort you today as well. Let us pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would make much of Jesus today, that you would send forth on the wind of your wings 
the mighty word of God to be preached to our hearts in a way that is truly moving, in a way that stirs the whole self toward love of you and love of neighbor. In your name we pray. Amen. You and I feel the effects of the fall in many ways. When our forefather and foremother, Adam and Eve, sinned in the garden, and when we sinned in them and with them, we opened up a floodgate of consequences. We often talk about the felt effects of that fall as guilt and shame. You and I are daily stung by our guilt and our guiltiness, our shame and our shamefulness. Less often, we might talk about the felt effects of the fall as loneliness, just as Adam and Eve were alienated from one another once they sinned. Even in our deepest human relationships with our best friends and our spouses, there's that brooding ache that can't be satisfied, no matter how many social media accounts we occupy ourselves with every day, no matter how many happy hours we go to, and no matter how many homes we hang in with other people. But perhaps even less often, we might talk about the felt effects of the fall as sickness and infirmity, the tethering of sin, the fall, and sickness could go in a really bad direction, where we take the approach of some preachers who say that we're sick because we personally sinned. And I'm not saying that here. You know, it's not an equation where if we do good things, God will bless us in this life and we'll be healthy and wealthy. And it's not an equation on the negative side where if we do bad things, we will be cursed by God and not be wealthy and not be healthy. But it's that things no, no longer work rightly as a result of the fall, even on the microscopic level, to the point where viruses, to the point where our, our brains don't function rightly, to those kinds of things. That's what we're talking about. Early in the 16th century, just before the dawn of the Reformation, painter Matthias Grunewald offered up a work for a monastery in Isenheim near Colmar, France. The monastery of St. Anthony specialized particularly in hospital work. The monks would care for the sick and infirm. That was their vocation and calling. Grunewald's piece was a huge mural of the crucifixion, almost nine feet high and ten feet wide. To many in his day, it was offensive because of how starkly graphic it was. Christ's hands are contorted upward with gnarled, elongated fingers. And Christ's feet are smashed. And the cross on which he hangs is actually bowed downward to symbolize the weight of sin upon Jesus. Christ's body is grotesquely gaunt with pale skin and exposed ribs. And all of this is not the most shocking aspect. The enormity of the painting allows for detail only visible when you start getting close. Christ's body is pitted with many plague-like sores. Grunewald obviously intended to offer a vision to the sick patients of St. Anthony and to their monastery, a kind of bronze snake in the wilderness a man of sorrows who is acquainted 
acquainted with grief. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The gospel writer, St. Matthew, offers a stark and maybe startling interpretation and translation of that verse. Matthew 8.17, in quoting Isaiah, doesn't say he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Matthew interprets Isaiah with surprising specificity. He says, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Yesterday we saw how Jesus bore all the guilt of final judgment upon himself at the cross. But have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus not only bore our sin and guilt, but he bore our sickness in his life and on the cross? If the incarnation is true, if Jesus really did take on flesh, then could it be that the God-man caught colds? Could it be that the God-man wrestled through viruses and fevers? Could it be that he felt the pains that we feel of stomach bugs? And could it be that on the cross, part of the death that he bore was the end result of the cancer, our disabilities, our disorders, and our plagues? Could it be that what was killing our Savior was not only the loss of blood from his wounds, not only the spiritual and psychological anguish of being forsaken by his Father, as if those things weren't enough, but could it be that what was additionally killing our Savior were our diseases? This is a little embarrassing to admit, but my wife will tell you that, especially early on in our dating relationship, I was a bit of a pansy. I was kind of clingy and needy. You know, we met in college, and she was the stereotypical college jock, a tan, fit, extroverted, confident tennis player. And I was the stereotypical artist-type music student, pale, emaciated, neurotic, introverted, insecure. And one of the ways that our differences manifested themselves in our relationship was in what I would call the clash of the love languages. Abby's love languages, the way that she gives and receives love, are those more sophisticated ones, you know, like acts of service. Mine are the more expressive and emotive ones, like physical affection. And what can I say, and forgive me if this is TMI, but I like to be touched, I like to be held, I like to be cuddled, and I like to express my love in that way to Abby. After a long day, I often find Abby has done something meaningful for me, like made my dinner or bought me something nice from the store that I like and is useful. And after a long day, I would just want to come home and hug Abby for about an hour. There are some, some times when my physical affection love language is so strong that I end up in true existential crises when she's sick or has a virus. Being a neurotic singer, I'm dreadfully fearful of colds that will mess up my vocal cords and render me voiceless for a day or two. But I often find that when Abby is sick, that strong fear of mine eventually gets expelled by the greater affection of wanting, needing to be near her, to hug her, to hold her, even to kiss her. And oftentimes I end up getting sick 
But I don't care how many times that happens. I can't help myself. It's in my nature. Even when my bride is sick, I can't help but draw near to her. That's the way that I love. Friends, this is the nature of Christ. Even when his bride is sick, he refuses to be a germaphobe. He must draw near to her because it's the way that he loves. Out of sheer overflowing love, he must draw near to her. He knows he will contract her contagious and fatal disease, but he just can't help himself. You know, if our celebration of Advent and Christmas is remembrance of Jesus' arrival, then Lent is our remembrance of Jesus' kiss. His 40-day temptation in the wilderness was merely a microcosm of his whole life, willfully bearing our sickness and sorrow, knowingly contracting our diseases in his body. In the 14th century, medieval Europe witnessed the bubonic plague, the Black Death. They witnessed it kill around 20 million people, around a third of the continent's population. As historians look back on time, they took note how the plague disproportionately affected the lower classes and the poor. And this makes sense in a heavily stratified medieval Europe where the wealthy would have had much more means to escape and access to medicine and more sanitized lifestyles. However, in places like England, historians noted one exception. There was a group of people who weren't among the lower classes who were heavily impacted by the bubonic plague and died in great percentages. The priests. When other wealthy classes were retreating and hiding, the priests stayed to care for the sick and dying, in many if not most cases to their own detriment. They leaned into the pain and the disease and as a result, the disease took them. And this is certainly a picture of Christ, who had all the resources of healing and power and strength at his disposal. He could have taken some easy outs, but instead, he pressed into human suffering all the way to the bitter end. Those of you who are part of the Advent know that my family and I are going to be moving here to be a part of the clergy team, and we are totally excited. But I will tell you that right now, right at this moment, we are totally stressed. Those of you who've moved know that there are million and one details, and our family is feeling the pressure on every front. Just last week, we put our house on the market, and in preparation for that, all I could see was the eternal punch list of all the little and big things that needed fixing and beautifying and renovating and polishing in our home. And I didn't know if I had the time or the ability to do it and still be faithful to the church that I am serving and the church that I will be serving soon. And then our realtor said something to me that I swear almost sounded like the gospel. He said, when you guys choose to sell your house with me, and he's a friend of ours, you can stop worrying about the punch list. I've got a team of people who will take care of that for you at no cost to you. It's just part of our service to you. And he said, when you sell with me, your house becomes my problem. When Jesus became incarnate and journeyed to the cross, 
your sickness became his problem. Are you or does someone you love struggle with the horrors of bipolar disorder? Jesus knows it. Jesus felt it. Jesus bore it. And you are not alone. Are you or does someone you love wrestle through some painful, unrelenting, chronic disease, multiple sclerosis, ALS, Crohn's disease? Jesus knows it. Jesus felt it. Jesus bore it, and you're not alone. Do you or does someone you love have a heart condition that can't be fully fixed? Jesus knows it. Jesus felt it. Jesus bore it, and you're not alone. Dementia, Alzheimer's, leukemia. Jesus knows it. Jesus felt it. Jesus bore it, and you are not Alone, Whatever your grief, sickness, pain, heartache, Jesus knows you. Jesus feels you. Jesus has borne you. You are not alone. You are known. You are heard. And you are felt in your pain. But it gets even better. Not only does the cross tell us that Jesus has shared in our suffering, the cross is the answer to our suffering. For by his wounds, we are not only just known and understood. No, by his wounds, we are healed. By bearing our infirmities on the cross, Jesus dealt with them decisively. And his resurrection sealed this truth that God now declares to you, you will be healed. You will be healed. The cross is God's promise that you will be healed. Either in this life, but ultimately in the next. Full and final healing is secured for you in Jesus. God sometimes chooses to unleash the healing power of the cross now as a foretaste of the kingdom and the full healing that's to come. Never put it past God that he would do that for you. Pray for it. Ask for it. Because God the Father loves to give good gifts to his children. But even if he doesn't now, he will. That is a promise. Waiting for all of us on the other side of death is the full and final healing of all of our wounds and our sickness and our pain. When Jesus died and rose, he rendered impotent death's final blow. All our sickness should do away with us and turn our bodies to dust. But in Christ's death, death has lost its sting. Death gets relativized And healing gets the last and the final and perpetual word. So, this Lent, by all means, Christian, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. But also remember that after the dust is reformation, resurrection, healing, and life everlasting. Jesus has secured it, and it cannot be taken away. Amen. Let us pray. O great physician, we look to you 
to be the healer of us in this life and in the next. And we do not lose hope. We know that though we are dust and to dust we shall return. You promise that dust isn't the last word, but newness of life and wholeness on the other side of all the sickness and pain that we're weary from will be a reality. And so we look to you, Jesus, through the Spirit, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we ask you graciously and humbly to finish what you've started in your people in us. And until that day, hold us fast by your grace and your mercy. Amen.